Welcome to Home Gym History. My name is Rob, and you can find me at Vintage Weights PGH. Home Gym History Podcast is produced by Garage Gym Radio, and they are nice enough to bring me out to Home Gym Con this April 2024. If you go to homegymcon.com, you can see the very long list of vendors that are from all over the strength community, and you can meet some of your home gym you know, buddies that you may have met online in person. There are four different competitions going on. So if you'd like to participate and compete, you can do that as well. And of course, the French Lick Resort is gorgeous. Plenty of restaurants, beautiful, beautiful accommodations. And it just is easy to get around while you enjoy Home Gym Con, the second iteration of it. So please head to homegymcon.com and pick up your tickets now for April 26th and 27th, 2024. On tonight's episode, I have Gunnar Peterson, trainer to the stars. He's trained Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, J-Lo, Dwayne Johnson, Khloe Kardashian. He's worked with NFL and NBA players, professional boxers, NCAA athletes. He was the Lakers director of strength and endurance for a period of time. He's opened his own gyms. He's been a personal trainer for over 30 plus years. I mean, I'm just getting started on his resume. He has had such a prolific career and he's still going strong and I can't wait to talk to him. So let's get him on the show. Gunnar Peterson, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Very cool. Absolutely. So as I read more and more about you and I, you know, kind of did my research leading up to this, I really got curious about the very start of your training career because you've been a personal trainer for decades at this point 30 plus years so if you go way back and you know you're working that full-time job starting to be a trainer and then you get the gig training kelly mcgillis that if correct me if i'm wrong is kind of the first celebrity that you trained definitely yeah definitely the first celebrity but you know uh especially when you're starting out you i treat and and still do to this day you treat every person like they're your like like they're the star on your Christmas tree. If we're going to keep it in the in the yeah. theme of the uh, in the theme <laughs> of the era, uh, I I do not know. I think that's how you treat everybody. I think you have to. I think you're in a service business and and you treat people a certain way. They you know to whatever degree the customer's always right. Um, and as long as it's a respectful two way street, I don't think you can ever go wrong with that approach. And. I, you know, I wouldn't argue with that at all, but I suppose what I'm curious about is that two years in, I mean, I'm, I'm not implying that you weren't working hard, but you hadn't quite eat, hit that 10,000 hours yet. So was there any uh, nervousness with uh, Miss McGillis or any kind of like starstruck, you know, little... I, I might've been, I might've been a little more than, I might've been a little more than two years. I think I was a little more than that because I was about two years driving, doing in-homes like, ah, okay just driving home to home to home. And, and, uh, before I found a place to, you know, hang my shingle, um, <laughs> it was, it was that, it was that strange life of work out at any gym you can while you're getting around town, keep a change of clothes in the back of the car, a cooler with, you know, ch I think at the time it was like chicken breast, baked potatoes, <laughs> uh, broccoli or string beans, distilled water. You know, you're that guy listening to, to AM radio and, and trying to stay current on topical events. And then you switch over to FM. To, so, you know, some of the songs that are out there so you can maintain conversations while you're uh, putting people through the paces. Um, and then I, then I found a facility that was close to my home. 
Uh, the guy was very cool. So it was Todd Tramp, and he was very cool about letting me come in. And uh, there was ample parking, which I think if if you're not uh, if you're a stranger to LA, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. But if you're you know if you're an Angelino, you go. I get it. Wait, where's that place? Because the parking can be a huge draw. That can be a make it or break it for a lot of, uh, especially return business type of, of service jobs, right? If, if it's a place you go to once in a while, you know, if it's an orthodontist, if it's, if it's that kind of thing, you know, it's just where you go for your checkup, you'll put up with a, with a less than perfect parking situation. But when it's a place you're, you're deciding or, or, signing up to go to two, three, four times a week. If the parking situation is um, less than ideal or, and it depends how many places you go to in a day that you could write the place off. I've seen it happen. So. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I'm here in Pittsburgh and it's nowhere near the size of LA, but even just uh, certain spots, even just this time of year, the holidays, I don't want to go to the mall. I don't want to go somewhere that I, you know, it's going to be a headache. So that makes sense. And when it comes to your training though, what was the balance when you're starting out there in terms of you're in this gym now, you're not on the road anymore, but what was the balance of, I was, uh, I was still seeing that early you were doing? I was still seeing a couple of earlier people on the road. I would still mm -hmm. see, um, I had a guy who was a Warner Brothers exec who I used to see at 6 a.m. three times a week. And so I would hit that and then I would race down. You know, you start to know all the dip routes and back roads and, and everything, you know, cutting through canyons and stuff in L.A. And then you, <laughs> and I'd get down to the gym and, you know, ditch the car and sprint into the office to look like you've been there forever. <laughs> and then I and then I'd see 10, 11, 12, 13 people in a row. I mean, it was wow. it was it was a lot of hours, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. And I loved it. And, and we actually didn't in that, at that time, we didn't, you know, I don't want to talk about it like it was in black and white back then, but uh, it, we didn't complain about the hours. Like we bragged about them. It was cool to tell the, the, the guys who were, you know, working alongside you, you know, I've yeah. got 55 hours this week. I've done that. Yeah. And in my, in my mind, I was like, you know, I've got 55 hours this week, plus I'm seeing three to five in-homes a week, plus I'm teaching three to four spinning classes a week. I mean, I was just, all the hours, just let me just book them. And then yeah. I'd read or watch VHS or, or DVD tapes or listen to, I switched over at one point to cassette tapes. When I moved on to get my um, my degree from my, my certificate from the NSCA, mm -hmm. I was listening to you know, their exam prep stuff on cassette tapes in the car, not to date myself, but uh, you, you just got the information where you could get it. It was, this was pre-social media. Yeah. This was, you know, pre-audio books. This was pre-all of that. So, yeah. You're just but, a sponge. You know, look, every, every era has its challenges and its loopholes. And, you know, so you, well, you can't complain, you can complain about it, but you sound like a fool. No, I, I mean, when it comes to the information that's out there, I love studying old training manuals and things that, I mean, way prior to any type of online existence or even to mass distribution uh, where someone would have like a poster they're referencing with a course book and that's the best they could get at the time. So that's what they got, you know, something's yep. better than nothing. So 
I've heard you talk about specific scenarios. Like, for example, uh, I was listening yeah, but, to. Wait, how, how about oh, yeah, this? Sure. People, talk, people talk about information and and miss and how much misinformation is out there now. <laughs> but when you go back to a lot of those old school training things and you look at uh, studies that have been today using those methods, and they prove that there are more effective ways, or that that way, in fact, wasn't the way. You have to go, does that mean everything I was taking in was misinformation? And if so, how were there still, how was it still yielding results? So yeah. I, I, I think there's so many ways to, to climb that mountain that, that to just bash what's out there, whether it's in this era or a previous one, you, you sound, you just sound bitter and who needs that? Yeah. Well, I mean, to someone, these course books and posters, it was gold arriving in the mail, you know, that gold. That Absolute was like goal. that was like a, a world of information arriving at their doorstep. So oh when yeah. I was in my senior year at Duke, anytime, anytime, and it happened more than more than a few, that my interest would wane or I'd start to think, oh, maybe I'll bail on my workout tomorrow or whatever it was. Invariably that day is when the new muscle and fitness arrived at my doorstep and i was like oh and you just devour it and you read cover to yeah. cover and you'd see the training protocols and you'd see the the equipment that those guys were training on that you didn't have access to but that you swore to yourself the day you were in a different city and you had access to a public gym or or that kind of place that you were definitely signing up i mean i used to make those deals with myself left and right so then what was it like the first time you were published in a major magazine because you've done a fair amount of writing in your career I've done a lot of writing. Uh, you know, what was funny was I had uh, at the, at the, at the time, the then editor in chief of muscle fitness was Jeff O'Connell. And he actually came to my gym and he said, I had a number of those moments, which I think are cool. And I'm sure, I'm sure anybody who does as they, if you stick to something and, and push with it, um, I like, I can't imagine an actor or sitting down and, and, getting to getting to sign a deal to work alongside an actor that at one point they just you know watched either as a kid or as a as a new person in the industry that must be an unbelievable feeling so in my career so in my field it's the same type of thing it's the same type of thing right it's the yeah. uh jeff o'connell comes in and he says i'd like you to write for muscle and fitness i'd like you to have your page blah 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 and and i'm sitting there thinking I still subscribe <laughs> to it. Like I still have a subscription. So, You're going to get your yeah. own articles coming back to you. <laughs> yeah. And having, and having lunch at, at it's yeah. So I make a joke now sometimes when somebody says I used to do so I used to do this out of the magazine. I, I laugh and I go, I probably wrote that routine and they laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had lunch at Joe Weider's house once. And I just remember sitting there with him thinking of all the times reading, even the, the, the editor's letter at the front of the magazine, you, you know, just before the mass said where, where his bust was. And, and I'm sitting here thinking I'm having lunch at the guy's house. It was just an unbelievable feeling. And I was yeah. with another editor in chief then that was uh, Chris Lockwood. And, but anyway, Jeff O'Connell came and offered me the job to, to write. And I mean, how do you turn that down? And I said, just steer me where you want me to go and then let me do what I do. But, but don't, don't give me no parameters. That's just, that's dangerous, you know, put, yeah. put the guardrails up on the bowling alley yeah. here. So. Yeah. At least direct you in some direction. Yeah. That makes sense. Great experience. I love, and I still am friends with uh, people I worked with at the magazine. I work now currently with um, Mike McElane, who's at uh, Jim Supplements, JYM, Dr. Jim okay. Stepani. Jim Stepani was a science yeah, yeah. editor at Muscle Fitness when I was 
writing my page there. And Mike McElhane, I think, was the last guy in the brick-and-mortar building in Woodland Hills okay. when the magazine went to digital. I mean, and I still work with those. I still I work with Jim Supplements, and, and I work with Mike and, and, and Jim. It's just, I don't know. It's funny that those are like some people that <laughs> you end up meeting in a work capacity, and then they become personal friends. So, so yeah, it's a pretty but- cool industry if you look at the positives. That's got to be a interesting transition, you know, that you, you admire certain people, but then you get to know them on a personal level. So it goes uh, kind of beyond that. And yeah, Jim Stefani, I, he was one of the first people that a um, number of years ago was just posting a ton of stuff online that I you know, followed and uh, right away. And he's such a, you know, present kind of guy with his uh, tattoos and things that right away, it's a, you can just picture him right away. So in any case, uh, I've heard you talking about some specific scenarios, training people for movies and certain situations in movies like Bruce Willis and a scene in G.I. Joe where he had to like slam someone to the ground coming up. So you had him working with a sandbag. You know, how much no, of I, had, training... I, I, had him, I had him working with a heavy bag, a heavy bag. Sorry, a heavy bag. Yeah, there we go. I mean, which I mean, I guess is in sense it's like a yeah. it's like a it's like a hand boy. It's like it's like a. It's like a sandbag on PEDs, yeah. right? But, yeah, exactly. But, but I would put it up on a, either on a power plate or on this. Okay. Uh, I have this piece of equipment. It's like a surfboard, a Synergy Swimmer. And I put it up on that. So we'd have to grab it up high and drop it down. Take it and, over. Yeah. And it would just replicate the movement. I mean, other than allowing him to body slam me, I, I didn't have ways to prep for that <laughs> in the gym, yeah. but. Yeah. yeah, I I have a fairly small home gym and I have a heavy bag that I'm constantly hanging up and then taking down, hanging up, taking down, dragging it around. So, yeah, I, I could imagine that'd be a good simulation. But I was wondering, when you're working with an actor, uh, what's the balance in terms of strength and conditioning versus a specific body composition for a role or preparation for a scene? You know, how in your experience, how does that work out? There's so many variables you have to look at. Um, first of all, you have to make sure you read the, read the room, right? I try to teach my kids, read the room, read the room. That joke might not land that you gotta, you gotta chill with that one liner you always go to, because this is not the room for that. So you have to know who you're talking to. You have to look at their training history. You have to look at their, their goals, um, in comparison to what they're planning on putting into it. Right. Like if, if they have, if they have shirtless scenes, I'm going with the, with the men right now, if they have shirtless scenes coming up, and they're only going to be seeing you two to three times a week. You have to find a way to get the most out of that. If they're, if you can find out like how's the scene being shot, you know, we, is it is it chest up? Is it belly button up? To tell me if you can get into stuff like that. Obviously, you're not training in isolation, but you can certainly um, you can certainly aim at shoring up any weak points, and then obviously highlighting any pre-existing strengths or what they're what they're trying to put out there as a strength right um yeah yeah stallone used to have a a great line and a great take on him he's the master of the physique and definitely of the physique in cinema um and he would say forearms and traps give the illusion of size so even if you're not a a giant guy yeah if you have uh, traps that are popping forward right and your Mm -hmm. forearms are uh, have some size to them, have some definition to them, have some vascularity to them. You appear to be a bigger, more muscular guy. So, and to his point, if you look at some of the things uh, that he's done, you just go, he always looks 
big and jacked. Yeah. And yeah. and in fact, I I think in maybe in Rocky three, he was like 165, 168 pounds. I mean, you can you can research that. I'm not I'm not claiming yeah. anything. And yet he appears to be not that that not that he's not jacked and big in there, but compared to you know other heavyweights, yeah. you just go wow. Let's the viewer's eyes just go to it. Yeah, it I reminds think, me Rocky, of. Uh, I think Rocky Marciano was like, yeah, I don't know, two oh two was he? So he was something. Something mm. he was not huge either, but and yet, and he didn't look it, and yet Sly looks a certain way, and he's coming in at thirty plus pounds under that. It reminds me of uh, as soon as you started describing that from Stallone, I thought of like the professional wrestlers of that I'd watch in my youth, you know, in the eighties, the nineties. That a lot of them, if you really looked at them. Yeah, they just had humongous traps. <laughs> They're just no yeah. neck, you know? And maybe yeah. it's the same idea, you know, just to have that appearance it's of funny size. Because when I think back to wrestlers, I don't know what era you're talking about, but but maybe close to the same. I think they had big traps and big, I would call them barrel chests. Like yeah. they just, they were very broad that way. I recently saw sure. a picture of Rick. I, I just saw the hilarious meme of Ric Flair coming out <laughs> like that. And he just looks so... Uh, there's a presence to them, you know, and I think that's really when you're talking about the TV and movies, you're, you're creating a presence, right? You want that that visual of that person coming out on screen to to hit the audience, to capture the audience, and then then you have buy-in, and then you have you know hopefully a franchise of movies if it's that type of yeah. thing. Well, speaking of Stallone, you were with Rocky Balboa. That was the sixth installment in that franchise, and I mean you've worked. I know with him in addition to that, but when you're first working with someone like Sylvester Stallone that, you know, he's, he's been training for decades. He's, you know, he's, he's Rocky, he's Rambo. He's, he's been at this. When you're talking about reading the room, how do you approach it with someone who's so experienced and it's your first time training with them? It's first time working with them. Uh, a couple things. Remember that they're coming to you, right? You're not, I maintain that I never, never sold fitness or pitch fitness to anybody. People come to you. So when they come to you, it's almost like not that they're disarmed, but definitely the safety's on and they're not, they're not gunning for you. Right. They're coming in, hoping to get better. They have a goal, they have something and they see you as someone who can help steer them there and, and eliminate some of the gray area. So they are willing. Um, they don't come in reluctantly, very rarely unless it's somebody whose wife sent them to you and that, or whose husband sent them to you, then it, then it gets out of that, that, that. Those are not always the easiest people to win over because they're, they're not there to a degree of their own free volition. So, but you get somebody like that. Remember they, they get the uh, certain training pro and everybody stagnates like pro bodybuilders have coaches. If you look at Charles glass, you know, the trainer uh, emeritus down at gold's Venice, he's, he's training, top pros right you look at uh honey rambod he, he's training top pros these guys are training top pros you know that the best golfers have a coach the best basketball players have a shooting coach like so everybody needs that i take that back everybody could benefit or can benefit from yeah. that additional set of eyes and hands and to get them through it i'm working with a guy now who's a, a, an nfl player all pro and it's not that he doesn't know how to lift or can't lift, but maybe he doesn't see 
when we can push a little bit. Maybe he doesn't see or feel when it's time to pull back, or if he does feel like it's time to pull back, that inside voice is telling him, don't pull back. But as a, as the outside pair of eyes, I'm going, no, no, now is when we pull back. And, and so those people, they come to you for that, right? They're not, they're not, um, they're not paying you for that hour. They're paying you for the years and years and years of experience you have. And, and while they may have experience in it, there's no way, regardless of how much any of them have trained, that they've done as much training and training, studying and deep dives as as the accomplished trainer has because they have the other life, right? They're doing their training, but they're also studying movie editing, script writing, uh, acting. They're doing all that. So while they're doing that, I'm still studying the other. I'm still in the gym. Other trainers, the top trainers are still diving deeper and deeper and deeper and testing it. And they're also taking what they've culled from from all the information they're processing and they're putting other people through it. So now they're creating their own um, focus groups, if you will, and they're going and, and they're able to weed that out even further. I just saw a post from Mike Boyle, another trainer emeritus, had a boss, a great, great guy and definitely someone who's, whose videos I watched, books I read before I met him and, and still do. And he said he's going to start like the Mike Boyle University. And the first thing he's going to say is cheat, cheat, copy <laughs> other people, copy great yeah. people. You know, it's a business of poaching and you do poach and you do pull from and, and um, aggregate all the things from so many different uh, bodies of health and fitness. And then it's up to you to put your spin on it, to try it and see what works for you and the people that are coming to you. And then you have to find a way to, to get that out there. I don't say package it and sell it because that sounds like it's the business side of it. But, but I look at it and go, what's worked for all the people that have trained a certain way with me. And, and I can eliminate this. I can add this. This is a must. This is a do not ever miss thing. So, so you, you get somebody back to your original question when somebody like Sly comes to you and wants to train for something, even though he's had his own experience, you know, proven and recorded on, on celluloid forever, he, he needs to go to the next level. I mean, he's always, I, I read a thing with him, one film, he said, we were trying to put a body on the screen, the likes of which had never been seen. And I thought, what a great way to approach it. Obviously, He's a writer first and foremost, and, and sure. people tell you that. So, but to think that you're trying to put a script that cat- captivates people and gets them to, to want to watch it, talk about it, and then if there's another installment, come back and see that. But at the same time, you're trying to create a look that that draw people in, that, that puts a stamp on their memory, and they're like, remember when he did this or when they came out looking like that? And I think his films really set the tone on that. Do you remember? I'm just yeah. going to keep going because whatever you're talking to me. Uh, no, go right I, I ahead. Read a thing, I love I, it. I read a thing, if you remember, <laughs> and perfect for this time of year as well, Jimmy Stewart, uh, uh-huh. It's a Wonderful Life. But he, he said before he passed, obviously, wasn't speaking after he passed, uh, and he said <laughs> something about how the actor today, the male, the leading, leading man, um, has a different challenge in that in his day they were always honing their craft as leading men they were always honing their acting nowadays they have to hone their acting but they also 
have to be in the gym honing their physiques because they are rated mm. by that as well. They are judged yeah. by that. They, they are, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? They are reviewed by that. And I'm adding that part to Jimmy, but, but that's what he's saying is like, it's no longer just good enough to show up and be a great actor yeah. as a leading man. Like at some point, there's a solid chance that you will have to, you know, present your physique on camera and you will be compared and contrasted against all the physiques that came before you and people have stepped it up. So, yeah, I mean, there's classic actors that from the 40s, 50s that may have spent their entire careers with their shirts on. So, you know, and never doing and, like you mentioned a, you know, a, a shirt off scene that you might train right. for or anything like that. It was and, not and, even a consideration. And if they did do a shirt off scene yeah. because of who they were, their physiques probably weren't even discussed. And and because of the time, there's a chance they were they would lean towards the more slender side. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't discussed. It was just, uh, and, and maybe it wasn't even proper to speak to body types or, you know, how someone looked. It was just, it just was what it was. And now it's talk about fine tooth comb. I used to call it like the Terminator scan. <laughs> it's just, and they rate it and rank it and rip it. And you just go, man, that's tough. And, and I Intense. would say, arguably it's that, to the third power for women yeah i can't even imagine and it's um and i think you make a very uh astute point or at least with jimmy stewart's point that it's you know it's it's a it's something that was a a secondary nature with acting and honing the skill honing the craft you know that kind of thing whereas now it's it's a it's a package deal when you're an actor or actress that uh you're going to be scrutinized for better or worse And going to that era, though, going back to the 1940s and 50s, I originally, when we were messaging on Instagram, I had asked you if you ever heard of this guy, Richard Klein. And the reason I asked was that he was the first, if you will, physical trainer to the stars, the trainer to the stars, that kind of thing. And I know you've kind of cringed at times when people refer to you as a celebrity trainer and things like that. I I just think it's a funny title because... Because other than a celebrity, you would never put that, you would never put the vocation of the demographic someone works with before the title of the job. You would never mm-hmm. say he's a teacher trainer, he's a lawyer yeah, yeah. trainer, he, you know, he's a fireman trainer. You just don't hear that. So it's so yeah, celebrity. I get it. Wait a minute. Well, and I, and I understand, right? It's because the, the, the thought behind it is if a celebrity who needs to present, uh as close to the perfect physique in their mind on camera to be recorded forevermore is going to bring in a coach a trainer then it has to be then that trainer must be the best therefore this person is so it's a way of it's a way of giving props to the trainer and i get that i just i just think it's funny because i know I know a lot of people who are not called celebrity trainers who are phenomenal trainers who are just excellent at what they do. I just referred three of them today to someone who is doing a podcast more leaning towards the medical. And I was asked, do you know any trainers who would be good on my podcast? And I said this, and, and the person said to me, I don't know them. And I go, but they're great. You have yeah. to trust me. They're, You're going to get to know them. Yeah. And I, and I wrote, they're great at their craft and they're great people. More importantly, that's what I wrote. That's a ringing endorsement. You know, 
that's the kind of referral that I'd like to get. So but you can, but you go the other way too. Just because yeah. somebody is a celebrity trainer doesn't necessarily mean they're great at their job. Well, it kind of, for me uh, personally, just as kind of an average Joe, a strength historian and, uh, you know, guy with a home gym, I, I get curious about the methods for training professional athletes, the methods for yeah. training p actors, things, getting ready yeah. actresses for film roles. But then if I see something advertised, I do kind of think, oh, wait a minute, is this just selling me on something? And even back then in this 1950s book, yeah, you know, as I read through it and as I read it, I'd think, well, is this really, you know, a good training or just selling me? But here's something I thought is kind of amusing. As soon as you flip it open, we're talking about the scrutiny they get, the opening advertisement, and this is some big names, Cary Grant, Gary Cooper, some classic leading actors in this physical fitness book by Richard Klein. They've got on, I know it's hard to see through you know, yep, video chat, a heavy coat. <laughs> Cary Grant's got on like an evening jacket. It's not exactly like they're, you know, posing their physiques. But, but so then, so that, so, so look, oh, a couple, it's a, interesting. A couple, a couple of ways that that cuts. Uh, I don't ever bring up people I've worked with. I don't think that's the right way to do it. If someone else brings it up, I weigh in and I always keep it positive. That's just the way to do that. Sure. Um, the other thing is sometimes a trainer is especially back more so back then than now as i understand it um they're employed by a studio yes and that was his and, job with paramount okay so and i didn't know that but yeah. but i, I yeah. yeah so I he so was I a vaudeville uh, strongman and then he was recruited and we're talking in the days of like you know i'm ready for my close-up demille kind of days and he was recruited by paramount to quote unquote make their stars look like what they ain't right that's well, why so, they so, brought them in so then that tells me so then that's a different side of it right then he's and look if he gets the results that he's brought in to get then then hats off to him and, and all the credit in the world but that's a different side of the training like um think of like and I can speak to this as a strength coach who's who's been hired by the pros, right? And then they start saying, I trained this athlete, this athlete, this athlete. Well, hang on. That was a captive audience. You were hired by the team and those athletes had to train with you. That's not you building a book of business based on your skill set, your personality, uh, your techniques, and the person coming back to you again and again and again. Yeah. Nothing wrong with either way, but let's 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 keep it apples to apples. I mean, your guy there, if he was hired by the studio, that means the studio green lights a movie. Uh, it goes into pre-production. They take a look at the cast and they send to him whoever they think needs yeah. that work. And he has a new client in today's terms, right? In today's Absolutely. A phrasing. And you go, yeah, but like that client didn't seek you out now. If yeah. the client stays with him afterwards, or if a client mm -hmm. comes and signs, because back then uh, the actors had contracts with studios and they were just plugged into films, right? Yes. It was a different, the casting process was different. Sure. So if someone comes there and says, I want to do this, but I really want to work with that guy because I worked with him in the past and I really liked him, hats yeah. off to him. Then he's doing a different, and again, doesn't mean to the he's best of my knowledge, he had a Paramount build a, gym on the studio site and yeah, yeah they would they, just, so they, they would literally there, send them yeah, down to I the gym there, you know and that's where richard klein would be to train them 
And then he split off. By the time this was published, he split off from the studio and started publishing his own literature, started putting out some weight sets, things like that. Um, there's some things that you would definitely, from my research of you, disagree with uh, him. For example, he takes credit uh, for his, the uh, celebrities' uh, physiques, whereas I've heard you numerous times say that like, as a trainer – just as much as you shouldn't take the blame, you also shouldn't take the credit for their physique. You know, they're doing the work. They're doing the work. And you're with them. Even if you're training someone go crazy and say two hours a day, six days a week, which is very rare. Uh, That's I don't want to say that's the exception. That's just such a far out there exception. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that means there's so 168 hours in a week. That means there's a there are 156 hours that they're not with you. Yeah, and anyone and, and who's even that, dabbled can, knows that right. after you leave the gym counts just as much as when you're in the gym. So sure, if yeah. not more, and 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 your sleep. So you go, you're like yes, you can give you can drop the hints and give the tips and all that, but but if they're not doing that, how do you how are you taking credit for that? You structured a great yeah. workout plan that's terrific and i give you you know hats off to every trainer who's done that but to walk around and say i built that body i made yeah. it and you're like you sound like you have a god complex I, it just sounds funny to me but at the same time they go oh so and so showed up on a movie you know he looked like shit and he trained yeah. with so and so whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Be- be- yeah. before we before we cancel that person and bury their career yeah let me hear let me hear about those other 156 <laughs> hours if you don't mind yeah Exactly. I mean, so I can see your point. It goes either way. So you're better to just, you know, do the service that you're hired to provide. And and, and I would say that applies just as much, if not more, to athletes. Mm. Right? You're looking at an athlete and and, and take an NBA athlete. They're getting bodied in the paint every night. And, And the GM is coming to you going... You know, our, our guy's getting eaten alive down there. He's not strong enough. And you go, well, he's training 20 minutes with me three times a week. And he goes out and he has three girlfriends. Like, I don't know what yeah. you want me to tell you. Exactly. I don't know what I don't know what I can do. His his nutrition is garbage. His his sleep is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may or may not dabble in other um uh, non-helpful lifestyle practices yeah you're going to take these workouts and you're going to saddle me the guy low on the totem pole with yeah. turning this around i'm happy to but then i have to ride shotgun on him for the rest of his you know hours that we have him. Yeah. Uh, you're going to do a lot gonna, of babysitting <laughs> and, and i'm fine doing that but you got to give me you have to give me the power to do that before you just come in and go, your training sucks or your training's not working. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah. that's a little heavy handed guys. Sure. Well, he, this guy, Richard Klein, to the best of my knowledge, the first trainer to the stars, he listed Gary Cooper as being like one of his best clients because he described him as unaffected, good natured and serious about his training is there any uh, anyone you can think of? You just said you'd like to uh, compliment them. Anyone you can think of that kind of fits that role that like, you know, they just, they come in and it doesn't even have to be a specific person. But I mean, when you're dealing with certain sports or certain uh, lines of work, whether it's acting or modeling or anything else, 
is there typically a trend or, or does it just depend on the person in terms of how determined or how committed yeah, it they are coming to you? It, depend, it depends on the person. And even then I would say it depends on the person and where they are in their career. Like you might get them at a point where maybe they're going through a divorce or maybe they just got uh, fired from a movie or maybe they just found out the movie they're doing is not going to have any P and a behind it. So it's, it's, it's almost predisposed to bomb. So they're, they're lackluster in their approach. I mean, there's so many things because people, people can change and they do approach training differently at different times and phases in their life and their career. But uh, the people I've worked with um, look again, they come to me. So, so I'm not pulling, I'm not pulling teeth. I'm not, I don't have to, I don't have to convince anybody that this is the thing. They came to me because they yeah. know it's the right thing. Um, Motivation's the already ethic, there. It is. And, and, you know, motivation short lived, you, you look at what's the obsession, what's the passion, what are they trying to do? They understand most of them, if not all of them, that they're, that this is a legacy, right? What they're leaving on film uh, and the athlete, what's, what they're leaving in the record books, all that stuff is, is, is out there, you know, you're, you're naked for the rest of your life and everybody's staring. So they do come in with a purpose. Um, and I would say across the board, almost, I can't think of exceptions. Maybe, maybe I could, uh, uh, I would say across the board, the above title people, right? Like, like the Sylvester Stallone's, the Jennifer Lopez, the Bruce Willis, the people like that, they come in with, uh, there's a, just a mindset. Like you, there's, there, there's yet, to be someone that I've met who doesn't, when you meet them, you don't go, how's this person a star? I've never <laughs> felt that. I've looked at yeah. every single one that I've been lucky enough to, to meet and work with. You're like, I get it. I get why they are who they are, the, the way they are in the gym. And it's not just uh, the, fir the first impression I have of them. It lasts forever, for years. Every single time I've worked with those top tier people, when they're when they walk in and when they walk out i go i know why they are that person i know why they've had the successes that they've had yeah so and and stayed so successful i mean all the people you're naming weren't like a flash you know yeah. just flashbang one kind of uh movie and, out there one album out there i mean you're talking about like legendary figures and so, you see it with yeah. the athletes too you see yeah. you see some that they come in and there's a there's a there's a walk it's not a swagger but there's just a confidence and you and and what they put out on the weight room floor it's almost like there's a direct correlation with the success they have on the field or on the court and you get some who come in and you just go this guy maybe doesn't have a name but the way he works if he gets one break he will have a name uh, God, I go to one in particular, it just pops into my head. Alex Caruso, he plays for the Bulls now. We had him at the Lakers. He was on our G League team, on the South Bay team. And the way the Lakers facility is, is set up, uh, the South Bay Lakers locker room, they have to walk through the weight room that is shared, but they don't use it. Uh, at least when I was there, they didn't use the weight room. When the Lakers used the weight room, they had a okay. different uh, access time for it. And then they'd walk out onto the practice courts. And every time he came through when he was on the South Bay Lakers on the G League team, he was pleasant. He was upbeat. He was quick with a smile. And he just had a great attitude. And, I mean, I tried to work with him anytime I could. And when they brought him up and then they 
then he, he was on like a 10 day contract and a 10 day contract. Then they signed him to a real contract and then they renewed him. You're just like, it makes you so happy to see that guy be yeah. rewarded because the work ethic that he put in on the weight room, the work ethic that you yeah. saw him put in on the court, you just go, there has to, it has to work that with his skill set and his work ethic, something's going to open up. And when it did, he shot the gap and he crushed it and he, and he continued working like that. You know, it's just, it's just great guys like that. You just, you see that and you see it in the acting world and the entertainment world, the ones who are, I'm here in Nashville now and I have yeah. three people that are constantly practicing, constantly taking performance gig, constantly sitting down for rights. And you, you just go, I see it happening. I know, I know there's a ton of, I know there are a ton of people doing the same, but the relentlessness of their application to their craft, as well as they're coming into the gym regularly to train with me. And I go, that's just a, that's just a recipe for success. So yeah, I would say the people I worked with that that you ask if, if there are any that, that, your guy, Mr. Klein, had described like that. I, I would say all, all of the top ones, I would say that. Good-natured, fun to be around, committed to the training. Uh, they understand the importance the training plays in the in the overall. Yeah, that's good At stuff. At the time, Gary Cooper didn't get much bigger than that in terms of a leading man. So that makes sense. That That lines up. Now, as far as professional athletes, you went out – had a great interview in 1997, I think it was, with the Lakers, but unfortunately didn't get the job. 20 years later, you get the job. So was it in the back of your mind at all during that time, or was it just another opportunity arose? So you're like, oh, man, here we go. Let's do this. Like, what? Uh, well, what it's, not the... like, it's not like I sat at home for 20 years. Yeah, pining away. <laughs> no, no, sure. you, you, were, you were busy, yeah. Um, but I still saw between 97 and uh, 2017 when I when I took the job I still saw anywhere from 15 to 23 NBA athletes every offseason mm-hmm. uh regular training being in LA a lot of them are out there in the offseason um for workouts for uh entertainment stuff and and for the weather it's a great place to be right yeah. um and they they have to stay sharp, right? This isn't the kind, this isn't like in the sixties when guys had other jobs in the <laughs> off season, you know, like uh, yeah. I know uh, Mike Dunleavy who, who coached around the league for a long time, senior uh, trained with me for a long time. And he told me when he played, uh, I want to say he was a point guard for the Rockets in the off season, he worked um, in the stock market in New York. I think check wow. that out, please. But like, yeah. and then he would just, and he would just play pickup ball when he could. And, and you think you couldn't, you couldn't do that today. You know, training yeah. camp back then was literally used to get in shape for the season. Yeah. That's how it was viewed. Um, no, nowadays it's a year round thing. These guys train year round. So I sure. always had from 97, from when I had that, that uh, two hour plus interview with uh, then GM Mitch Kupchak, who I believe wow. still works with, with the Hornets uh, in some capacity, and I didn't get that job for whatever reason, I still was working with guys every off season from so many different teams. So, you know, it, uh, I was still in it and still yeah. maintaining relevance as far as I saw. And then um, when the Lakers hired Rob Polinka as a GM, Rob, 
hired me. I had uh, I had to interview with Rob, and then I had another interview with with uh, Luke Walton, the head coach at the time, okay. and and um, Urban, who I also knew, and and so that was good. And then I got and then I got that job. So it wasn't in the back of my mind, but it was mm-hmm. definitely one of those things where you go, I've always wanted to do that. You yeah. know, there's a there's a corporate side to it that I definitely wasn't a hundred percent aware of or ready for. But you know, you learn, you take different jobs, you you find your way through. And uh, when when I got there, we were still in the old facility over at the Toyota Center, and then we moved to um, Health South, the new building, and and we put together, uh, I thought, a pretty great weight room and. And it was adjacent to the court, you know, the same way um, San Antonio had theirs in their practice facility back then and the same way Duke basketball does theirs. And I think that's kind of the standard now, the the weight room butts up to the court. So it's all it's all flow and 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 you feel work everywhere that you are. So it makes you want to push yourself. So that was great. The Laker facility was great. The Laker brass was great and you know, they said, what's your approach? How are you going to handle this? And they had a lot of that year. There were a lot of young, young, young guys uh, on the mm. roster uh, who may or may not have had a ton of strength training um, history or experience. So I took the, um, if you know, Cal Dietz, strength coach at, uh, but so much more than that. He's uh, at Minnesota and he's just a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he has a book called Triphasic. And I took the, tenets of triphasic and applied it to what I wanted to, to do in with the, with that young Laker roster to make sure that they had the right foundation and that the lifts were going to serve them versus just running them through a series of movements. And, and, you know, the Laker brass was cool with that. So that was great. Yeah. I heard you speak before about, you know, watching film, trying to tailor workouts to try to, you know, be specific to things when it comes to going on the road, you were just mentioning earlier in the episode, how, you know, that's who knows what's uh, the other factors playing a part. So did you also travel and go on the road as the uh, director of strength? So then when you're on the road, how does, how does your role differ than when you're at home you know you've got the the home field advantage if you will at your own facility but then when you're on the road do you do you get used to you know trying to tailor things in each building or yeah, each place that there, you're at there there's definitely a a system to it right you, you you know what teams allow you access to their weight room or if they have a visitor weight room mm. uh you know what hotels have gyms if not you know gyms in town um and, and you just try to keep it fresh. I'm a big planner. I write out stuff long, but like I write everything the night before and I have it printed out. I have the paper with me or actually with the Lakers, I always kept it on my phone because it's just easier. And I knew where we were going and what was in there. And I have a, uh, you know, my little, my little um, superpower is that I remember gym layouts and it's very odd. Like nice. I, I can tell you, like I can tell you where the bench press on the rack <laughs> was. And when I was at Duke in 85, you know, that's just strange. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, so if I know if we're going to, um, if we're going to New York to play the Knicks and then we have a down day and then we're going to play the Nets uh, and we're going to stay at the four seasons downtown, 
I know what that weight room looks like. I know it's techno gym. I know the cardio is here. I know where the kinesis is. I know where the leg extension is. I know where the med balls are kept. I know where there's open space for movement and I'm going to go in and I'm going to kind of lock it down and make sure I have enough room without uh, inconveniencing other guests, obviously, and make sure we can get it done there. And then I'm going to line the guys up and say, let's go right after this. And, and try to do it. Plus you have a staff, right? Like you're not operating alone. You can't be a hero. I had great guys that worked with me. I had a uh, Chatton Hill and Ed Strite who Ed Strite still runs the program now for the Lakers. And he's a terrific guy. That's a guy who I'll be friends with for life. And he's, uh, that's my guy bonds. Like, so I had him on the road then yeah. and, and he's there now and you just know how it's going to go. And, and yeah. And you also, you also know, which guys are definitely training on the road and which guys you may just get them for a pre pregame activation or a, or a post game quick lift or sprints if they didn't get a lot of minutes, but you also know which guys are on the road and, and yeah, it's not, it's not like you're, you're, it's not like you're landing in enemy territory and, and, you know, trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's a professional uh, atmosphere. Yeah. And there are a ton of great strength coaches around the league, at least when I was there. And, and it's an easy text. Hey, do we have access to your weight room? Let me know. You know, yeah. I'll see you in a minute. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. And, and you try to reciprocate it. And, and sure. there's some great guys, guys I'll be friends with for a lot of years. Very cool. Well, in terms of your superpower and gyms and equipment, it, it checks out everything you're saying about yourself that you love the plan. You remember layouts. So then of course, gym design and designing gyms that that's planning that's uh laying out gyms so then can you tell me a little bit about your um i guess it's fairly recent i think 2017 your gym design company that you started up so right what, what does that entail and you know is that just you putting that superpower to work uh so, so a lot of a lot of that gym design stuff came from not came from it it, it starts because someone says to you Hey, I'm getting this from my house. Uh, what are your thoughts? Can you help? Whatever. And you say, sure, let me, let me do it. And then they say, what else would you do? And then you say this, and then you're on the road and you notice that a certain hotel is just, you just go, how do these guys, how do these guys spend so much time choosing the flatware in the dining room and <laughs> the light fixtures in the bedroom, in, in the, in the room that you're staying in, but they just phoned in the gym. Like I'll never get that. And they say, well, you know, the gym is not a big moneymaker. I go, Oh, on the contrary, the gym could be a huge moneymaker if you did it right. If, because I know people who won't stay at a hotel or they'll stay at another hotel if the gym's better. So you might want to think about it like that instead of just, yeah. you know, taking a, 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 you know, we'll take a few of those and a few of those approach as you, as you populate that gym, there's, there's so many, there are so many things out there and I think it's worth cherry picking across mm -hmm. different brands to put a gym together. I get if you want it to look the same, you, you go mostly from the same brand, but there are so many good pieces from so many good manufacturers to not shop that and, and make specific conscious pointed choices. I think you're, you're ultimately doing a disservice to your clientele. I mean, this is home gym history and a lot of the listeners for my podcast for home gym owners and in the home gym community, it's not just training. It's also just 
the design of our home gyms and talking about, you know, this piece of equipment versus this piece and how do you do this storage, you name it, just the flow of your gym. Do you have enough space to uh, install this or do this training? So that's uh, on a bigger scale for different commercial uh, purposes that makes sense to me. So then my but question- also for your, but, but for your home ahead. gym, if, yeah. that, if that's your primary training spot, mm-hmm. you don't have to be relegated to home equipment. You yeah. can go ahead and, and, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't want people to come back and well, you can't afford that. Well, maybe you could, <laughs> maybe you could, maybe yeah. you could. Depends how much couple. you want it and how you prioritize exactly. your budget. And exactly. You know. But, but there are so, there are so many great pieces of commercial equipment. They may cost a little more, but they will last you oh, yeah. forever. And, and you look at, potential add-on so you may get the stripped down version but Mm -hmm. then there are things and you could call them upsells if you think the company's marketing to you but i would look at them as add-ons it's like a lot of times you get a car and it's just the way it is this is like getting the car without the air conditioning without the seated heats you know Mm -hmm. without without the cup holder you can add all those on on your equipment right you can add on different pulleys different attachments different modular Yeah, correct. So if you get a stripped down piece, that's a great piece from a great company. Don't worry if you don't get it all the first day. Plus, it makes you an easy gift receiver on Father's Day, (laughs) on your birthday, on Christmas. Oh, I don't know what to get my dad. Let me tell you what to get me. Get me the bulldog attachment for the Sorenex rack. That's what (laughs) get me that get get me another landmine attachment. You know, that's the kind of stuff. And, And it's easy for them to get in. And believe me, as the recipient, you will be overjoyed. I'm laughing to myself because my mother, every year for Christmas, she asked me, you know, what, what can I get you? What can I get you? I'm like, mom, don't worry about it. I'm, you know, and then yeah. I finally I just say, okay, here, like these barbell collars would be great. I, go, I don't know what that is, but sure. And I don't think she's known what she's gotten me for years. Every year it's something for my home and, gym and she has no idea you, what it is. And, and you love getting it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I use it. And she it, got me my clever bill deadlift jack she's like well what's a deadlift jack what do you do with that so then i kind of tell her oh well mom this thing's great you know i can lift up the bar and put new more plates on so yeah yep and and think about it you'll use that gift every day versus something else that could cost more Uh, it's Mm -hmm. funny you just said that we just got a couple I, i still have a bunch of containers with my equipment so i can't source all the stuff that i already have and i needed more collars and i don't like to mismatch collars i'm ocd like that yeah, uh, my buddy you. just yeah. got my buddy just got me a couple pair, and I think like they were forty nine dollars. So if somebody's buying you a pair for forty nine dollars, that's a great gift. That that's way better than buying me, uh, you know, a three hundred dollar jacket yeah. that I I don't need, don't want, don't like. Yeah. It's funny, right? Hundred so, percent. Good for yeah. your mom. Good for your mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I gotta give credit to my wife too. She she helps me out in the home gym. Well, when it comes to gym equipment. Let's say, you know, there isn't someone who can really buy a huge setup right away that, you know, something's better than nothing, kind of like I said earlier in the episode. So they want to get something for the home. They can't really afford, you know, a gym membership just yet, but they want to get something like what any advice for that uh, home gym owner that wants to wants to start a home gym. So in, in no particular order, I would say. And I'll get to the brands in a second, but I would say. A rack, some kind of a cable system, a set of adjustable dumbbells or a, a dumbbell set, um, a recovery tool, and a cardio tool of choice. 
and I can I can dive into those or I can just leave yeah. them like that and let people figure out. Actually, the one that I'm most curious about is the recovery tool. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think people, um, I think a lot of people just think recovery is sleep. And then I think they think it's an off day. And then now I think because of all the social media hype, I think uh, they think it's a cold plunge. And that's, nice. and that's, and all that's well and good. But I would say, look at something like, um, I mean, obviously sauna is good, but, but, but I would say something even easier, like, um, like a Theragun, right? Mm -hmm. A handheld percussive device. You're going to end up using that when you're watching TV, you're going to use it on your off day. You're going to use it pre-workout. You're going to use it post-workout, right? Um, look at, uh, the infrared walls that people get another great easy tool uh look at compressing compression boots that are made right uh mm -hmm. the jet boots um look at getting um some kind of a massage treatment package i'm not saying you know blow all your money because uh, but i'm saying there are so many things you can do outside of the gym to 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 bring the work you've put in in the gym to life it's not always just more work is better more work i'm all for but at some point you have to recover right and think yeah. about it oh, some kind of a water purifier like so you're yeah. making sure that the water you are taking in is helping you that's all sound advice and the reason i asked about it is that a lot of the uh, home gym influencers and people making youtube videos things like that you know they touch on the equipment, the racks, the barbells, you name it. But yeah, recovery, that's a big piece. So, and not that they don't touch on some of those things, the Theraguns, but not, not as much. So to wrap things up, uh, this is another personal kind of uh, curiosity in terms of gym equipment and gyms that you've experienced. Are there any extraordinary gyms that you've had a chance to train? And now I know you own a gym so you know barring your own gym that you've designed someone else's gym uh so it could be the iron paradise of dwayne johnson's if you visited that it could be anything any facility anything gym that just stand stood out to you at the time like whoa look at this yeah iron paradise definitely stands out i was recently at uh under armor's headquarters Ooh. and and they have a facility there that is uh, it was pretty exceptional and there's an upstairs part and then there's a downstairs they call the pit and it just has anything and everything and and it's just well thought out and put together and and it's great it's it's great you know there are others like you go to you go to certain schools and you see the weight rooms are really dialed right and you just think this is this is almost like the strength coaches dream come true but but yeah. it serves the athlete so you can't blame the guy for that and then there are people who say and i would argue this too you don't need it all you know i didn't need that well and my wife didn't need another pair of boots either but that didn't stop her from getting them you know you you could i don't have to take an airplane when i fly to miami i could drive or i could walk but there's there are ways to make that journey more fun and more efficient and if you can do that in the gym why not if you're doing this the right way you're going to be spending a lot of time in there so yeah. i say make it as great as you can make it make it the default place 
Yeah. I have a big sign across the wall in my gym. It says there's no place I'd rather be. And that's I've seen no that in your videos. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not, uh, that's not a knock on my wife or my kids or my, my house or it's, I just love being there. And, and I hope for everybody that they at some point can feel that way about wherever it is they train, because that's what keeps you in the game. And that's what keeps bringing the change. And ultimately you started going there for that change. And, you know, I, I apologize because you reminded me of one more thing. So if you indulge me in your gym, I think it's in your gym. I heard you mention you have a Jack LaLanne belt signed by Jack LaLanne. Signed by Jack LaLanne, yeah. Oh, by, man. In my, so how in did my that come office, to be? In my old office, um, it hung right over my office door. And people were like, who's that? And some people like, who's that? Why does that guy get that real estate? Oh. I'm like. I'm like, I know who because, that is <laughs> because that's the Godfather, and you could almost separate those words. That's almost two words when it comes to him. Uh, in my in this gym, I have the Jack Lane belt, and I actually have a Jack Lane poster, just the oh, one cool. in the white and in the white trunks up that okay. his wife Elaine sent to me, which you oh, know makes wow. it yeah. And she said Jack, and she actually have a picture of him too. It's still in storage, and she signed it, and she said uh, she signed it Elaine, and then she wrote. And Jack from Heaven, which I just thought was that's sweet. super, super touching, and and yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he moved. Cool. Yeah, the belt. Um, my friend, uh, best friend for three decades, a guy named Mark Derwin. He was a soap opera actor, and he was on uh, a couple of uh, sitcom comedies, the Bonnie Hunt ones, and he's been in a ton of movies. And he was on a show called Secret Life of an American Teenager, I think, on Bonnie Hunt. Uh, Jack LaLanne was a guest star and he got it signed for me. And Jack wrote, oh, Gunner, you're, you're a great trainer. Keep doing this. And it was just like, dude, Jack LaLanne. Yeah. yeah. I have a, I also have a picture of Arnold um, flexing with Joe Weider behind him that Joe Weider gave me. So you go, cool. yes, I have Arnold stuff too. And, and Sly and Bruce, and, and that's unbelievable in and of yeah. itself. But to have the, the guys like, behind the scenes yeah, or yeah. who were there at the very beginning that's just you know because arguably arnold is um joe weeder was instrumental in arnold's career jack lalane jack lalane for sure affected everyone's career so you just look and go you you got to give those guys their props let's not be so quick to let them be forgotten love it Love it. So thank you so much, Gunner. I appreciate you being on Home Gym History. And thank listeners, you. please, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you where to find them, but you, you can certainly find Mr. Gunner Peterson on Instagram and all the normal places and keep up with him. And, you know, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much. If you're ever in Nashville, uh, hit me up and we'll throw some weights around. I would love that.